0: Last week, we started this three-part series called Pray First, and we talked about what makes a church dynamic. What's the thing that makes a church dynamic? Is it the size of a church? You know, I, no, not necessarily. Is it the cultural relevance of a church? No, I, I, cultural relevance is great, but I don't think necessarily that's the thing that makes a church dynamic. Or is it the busyness of a church? You know, Are, are we busy doing, you know, in programs and doing things, and there's lots of opportunities? I, those are all great things, but I don't think any of those are the things that make a church dynamic. I think if we, we, we see what is the thing that makes the church to be the living expression of Christ on the earth today, we have to say that it's, it's prayer. Because no matter how big or how small you are, no matter how cool or uncool you are, no matter how busy you are, or if you're just looking for things to do, none of that matters what matters is, are we a praying church? Because a praying church says, God, it's all about you. It's not about us. You know, uh, uh, I believe it was Ian e. Bounds that says that, that prayer brings, it's, it's the most powerful, it's the greatest of all forces because it brings God into active aid. So a praying church is a dynamic church. In the book of Acts, the early church, uh, it, you know, they, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer was what was going on. They continually devoted themselves to prayer. And that's what was happening leading up to the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And then, right after that, Peter gets up and preaches and 3,000 people decide to follow Jesus that day, to become disciples that day. Prayer is what fueled the early church to so quickly propel the gospel throughout the earth. Last week, we also talked about how some of us, we probably don't have a thriving prayer life. We don't pray because we just don't know how. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say, you know? And although it's, it's good and right that we take time to talk about and to teach on prayer, E.M. Bounds, who, who wrote volumes on the subject of prayer, he said this. I mean, this is a guy who had a lot to teach about prayer, but he said this. He says, prayer is not learned in the classroom It's learned in the closet. So it doesn't do you any good to just sit here and listen to teaching or to have conversations about prayer. What does you good is when you actually begin to do it and start practicing it. Again, some people are like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what, what the right words are. But listen, prayer in its most basic understanding is simply this. It's a conversation with God. So you can't mess it up. You can't mess that up. It's just the conversation with God. Think about the people that you have the most natural conversations with. You know, the people that we have the most natural conversations with, those are the people that we're in relationship with, right? You know them, and they know you. Well, guess what? You may not know God quite as well as you would like to, but He knows you very well. Nothing is hidden from Him. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, nothing's hidden from him. No, don't let that scare you. Let that encourage you because he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to talk with you and he wants you to talk with him. Now, if you're just starting out, yes, I will admit it can be incredibly awkward. You're like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what the right words are. I don't know how to pray. But that's okay. God doesn't have a scorecard. He's not like taking points down on how well you pray. That's not how it works. Jump into the awkwardness. Jump into the messiness and just get to know your creator. Get to know him in the place of prayer. Now, like I said, it is good, it is right for us to talk about and to teach on prayer. And so today, we're going to take a look at the prayer of prayers. What is more commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. In, In the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Matthew... Jesus gives us this master class on prayer. And so let's do this right now. Let's actually, let's take a look at it, and let's pray it out loud together. And here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, let's all say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen? Amen. You're like, wow, that's, that's really great. Yeah. That's the prayer of prayers, you guys. Your, in, your enthusiasm goes to prove my very next point. The Lord's Prayer may be the single set of words that have been most repeated in the history of the world. Seriously, it's very well well possible. Uh, Jesus gave it to us as a key to unlock so many things, to unlock so many riches of prayer. Unfortunately, it's an untapped resource for most of us because I think of its familiarity. Imagine yourself going over to a new friend's house. This is a new friend, you've never been over to their house before, and their house happens to be located right by the train tracks. And you're over there, and you're visiting, and you're sharing a cup of coffee, you're sitting on the couch in the living room, and all of a sudden, a huge train comes roaring by the house, you know, and you jump up off the couch, you're spilling coffee everywhere, and you're like, what was that? And your friend's like, what was what? What are you talking about? And you're like, that sound, it sounded like a tornado and it felt like an earthquake. Oh, oh, oh that's no big deal. It was just a train. You, you'll get used to it. And I think that's what's become, I, I think the Lord's Prayer has become that for us some. You know, I, um, the, the whole world is starving for spiritual experience. And Jesus is like, hey guys, hey, let me show you how to come face to face with the creator of the universe, the king of the universe, every single day. You, you can pour out your heart to him, and you can know that he is hearing you. It's all the Lord's Prayer. But it's become so familiar to us, we've overlooked, I think, its depth. Jesus revealed so much richness in these five verses. So we're, we're going to take a look at this today, line by line. And let me just say this. Today, this is just scratching at the surface at the depth of what's in this prayer. This is not going to be like, you know, this is not like a a college-level course or anything like that. We're just going to be going through line by line, scratching the surface, but I pray that this will encourage you and motivate you to go ahead and practice what you know that you see here and to dive in and study and go deeper and find out more about the depth that's here. So the very first line here, our Father who art in heaven. Everybody repeat that with me. Our Father who art in heaven. Right off the bat, the very beginning, as we engage God in this conversation, we remind ourselves of who he is. When we, ad- we address him as our heavenly father, I-, I think it was John Calvin that said this, to call God our father is to pray in the name of Jesus. Because who could be so bold as to call themselves a son of God or a daughter of God if they've not been adopted by grace through Jesus, right? To call God our Father is to pray in Jesus' name. You know, uh, Jesus is the one that makes it possible for us to speak to God as Father. And when we address Him as Father, as we address God as our Father, it reminds us of our standing in Christ before we bring any petitions to him. God, even though you have the right, you have every right, God, to severely judge me, I thank you that through Jesus, you give me the right to call you Father. That's good news. That's good news. Because of Jesus, we don't just look at God as judge, we look at him as our loving Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. So that's the very foundation to trust in God as our Heavenly Father in His love is the very foundation for our relationship and prayer with Him. The, the next line is this: hallowed be thy name. Now, hallowed is a, is a word that we almost never use in today's vernacular and, and vocabulary, right? So what does it mean? Hallowed means to honor as holy, to revere, to greatly respect. So when we say, hallowed be thy name, we're saying, God, even the mention of your name is holy. Even the mention of your name we revere and we respect because of who you are. One of our problems, I think, today in our culture is that we have no clue whatsoever about the meaning of holiness. I'm not saying all of us, but I'm saying the culture at large. I was at a concert just this past Friday night. It was a lot of fun. There was a great energy in the room, a lot of good, fun music. And uh, one of the band members in the middle of the show says, you know, man, this is a great time. And I hear people talk about holy moments, and I think this is a holy moment right here. And I thought to myself, you're not sitting where I'm sitting right now. You don't see what's going on over here in my section. I'm not quite sure that everything that's happening in the room is holy right now. Um... (laughs) And, you know, and I'm sure that, that that guy was not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm 99.99% sure he was not trying to mock God by saying that. But I'm also pretty sure that he doesn't really have a, a great understanding of what holy is. And, that, and so when we hallow God's name, we develop a heart of gratitude and joy toward God with this wondrous sense of his awesomeness. God, God is awesome, not in the way that we word, use the word awesome in our everyday life. Like, like man, hey, check out this Chick-fil-A sandwich, it's really good. Yeah, man, that's awesome. No, that, like, the way that God is awesome is not the way that Chick-fil-A is awesome. Although, there is a level of awesomeness in Chick-fil-A with that sauce and how fast they get you through that drive-thru line. You know, whoever's running the drive-thru line at Chick-fil-A needs to be running the country, Amen. No, I'm just. <laughs> right. <laughs> Listen, God is awesome. He, he, we honor him as holy. We greatly revere and respect him. And that doesn't mean, like, you. you that doesn't mean we're, like, we're afraid of God. That doesn't mean that, like, we're afraid that he's going to strike us with a lightning bolt. But there's this reverential awe and respect. Yeah. That is due him. But even the mention of his name is holy. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. What do you mean thy kingdom come? Isn't God reigning already? Well, certainly he is. He's certainly reigning already. But just like you can sit here in this room right now, you can close your eyes and you can refuse to acknowledge the existence of light in this room. It is possible for any of us to refuse to acknowledge the authority of God. And so we we are created to serve God, but when we serve other things in the place of God, that's where most of our problems start arising, right? When we pray, thy kingdom come... We're asking God to be in charge of every part of our lives. We're saying, God, I want to bring my entire being, every part of my life, everything that is my responsibility, I want to bring it under your authority, under your lordship. God, even my emotions, even my thoughts, God, all of it, my desires, my commitments, my time, my resources, my finances, my energy, God, I want to submit it all to your authority, Thomas Cramner said this, he put it this way. He says, that we may obtain that which thou dost promise. Make us to love that which thou dost command. In other words, we declare to God, God, we want to be so submitted to your authority that it's our pleasure and it's our joy to obey you with all of our heart. I think sometimes we have the wrong idea about obedience to God ah oh, got to be obedient to God can't do this have to do this no no i want to be so submitted to God that my heart it's my heart's desire and pleasure and joy to be obedient to him and that comes when we continually submit ourselves to his authority God's reign on earth is just partial right now so when we pray thy kingdom come we're declaring our desire <laughs> For the future, we're all suffering, we're all injustice, we're all poverty, we're all death, will be no more. Yeah. Which leads us to the next line. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the church doesn't understand this entire part of the line. I think a lot of us, we just understand that first part, thy will be done. And so we think, well, just everything that happens on earth is God's will everything that happens is God's will God's will my, my sister-in-law got cancer well just got to trust God he knows best one of my best friends dies in a car accident well God's got a plan my, my boss is insecure about my strengths so he fires me well I'm just going to trust God that God knows what he's doing Listen, bad things happen to good people every single day, but that doesn't mean that it's God wills all of that stuff to happen. Why, why do bad things, bad things happen? Well, number one, we live in a world that is currently in the state of decay. Sin entered the world, and now it is not the, the perfect utopia that God created it for it, for it to be. We're, we're in a state of decay. The whole entire earth is. Our bodies are. Why, why do bad things happen? Because we have an enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy. And why do bad things happen? Because I stink and have free will. I, may, I can make choices. Russell can make choices. And these choices have real consequences. Good consequences and bad consequences. And they not only affect my life, but they affect the lives of others. Not everything that happens is the will of God. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come on earth, or or, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you, in heaven, is there sickness? No. In heaven, is there death? In heaven, is there poverty? In heaven, is there suffering? In heaven, is there injustice? No. If everything that happens is God's will then what what reason in the world do I have to ever pray? If if God's will is just going to be done no matter what, then why in the world should I even pray? Why in the world should I pray for my sister-in-law who has cancer? How in the world can I pray to God for her healing with any confidence? If everything that happens is God's will, then what reason do I ever have to pray for the salvation of my family and my friends and my co-workers. I mean, either they're just going to have eternal life or they're just going to have eternal death because it's the will of God. See, that doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't line up with the rest of what God shows us. Listen, God's will is that the earth would be restored to what He originally intended. And the first place that begins to happen is in the place of prayer. Because we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when that happens, our thoughts and our heart begins to come into alignment with the heart and the thoughts of God. And then we get empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we begin to see things the way that God sees them. And then we, the Holy Spirit invites us to take steps of obedience in faith to Him. And then what do we begin to see? We begin to see... Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, we've touched on the address, our Father who art in heaven. We've looked at these first three petitions. Have you noticed their significance in the place of prayer here? The beginning of this entire prayer has nothing to do with us. It's all about our focus and our attention on God. It's about God. Our own needs, our own desires are not the driving force. They're not the dominating force and issue here in this prayer. The first thing that we do is we praise and we honor God. Being God centered, intentionally giving Him honor, giving Him thanks, that comes first because that defeats our self centeredness, it defeats our selfishness. So, so, so we're halfway through the prayer here, and what's happened? Our vision of our life is being reframed, and it's being clarified not by what's happened to us, not by our own choices, not by our circumstances, not by the cards that we've been dealt, but by the greatness of God. Now we can turn to our own needs. Now we can turn to the needs of the world. And Jesus said to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So we've just spent these first three petitions of prayer recognizing God is the source. He is our food. He is our wealth. He is our happiness. Now Jesus charges us and he says, Now bring your prayer list in light of of all that truth in this new frame of heart. So we come to God with our needs and we expect a positive response. We approach God with boldness, not arrogance. We don't approach God with arrogance, but we can approach with boldness. And you know what? And you don't even have to come to God and and, and approach Him anxiously, you know? Like telling God, this is what has to happen, God. God, if you don't come through for this in this situation for me, then, then I'm done. No, you don't have to do that, but you can go to God and say, God, fear... Heavenly Father, fear is trying to overtake my heart right now. It's trying to choke me out. But God, I'm reminded of who you are. I'm reminded of how big you are. God, I'm reminded of how great you are. God, I'm reminded of how awesome you are. Truly awesome. God, I'm reminded that nothing is impossible with you, God. I'm reminded of those things. So with confidence, knowing that you see me, knowing that you hear me, knowing that you're at work, I'm asking you, To intervene in this situation. God, and I'm asking for all of my needs to be met according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? You can approach God with confidence. You can approach God with boldness. You can say, God, give us this day our daily bread. And you don't have to say it sheepishly. But at the same time, we're not demanding that of God. We're not in charge of God. But we do have this position because we're sons and daughters and he's our father. And Jesus said, hey... Even those of you that are wicked, you know you're not gonna give your your kids a snake when they ask for bread. God's not He's not gonna give us bad things. He's got good things in store for us. So when we say, God give us our daily bread, you know what? We can expect, we can expect God to hear us, to see us, and be at work. Amen? Amen? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This fifth petition here. It's all about relationship. It's about relationship both with God and others. Martin Luther said this about this part of the prayer. He said, If anyone insists on his own goodness and and despises others, let him look into himself when this petition confronts him. He will find he is no better than others, and that in the presence of God, everyone must duck his head and come into the joy of forgiveness only through the low door of humility. This petition is not only a challenge to our pride, but it's a test of spiritual reality. If we find that confession and repentance don't produce an increased confidence and joy in our life, then I would dare say that we don't really understand grace, which is the very essence of the gospel. Listen, repentance and confession should be things that are a joyful thing because we know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm coming and I'm repenting of this. I'm confessing this to God. And the, the good thing is, is that He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. That's what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says. As we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. That is good news. And so when we confess comp- Confession and repentance is not a bad thing. It is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Jesus tightly links our relationship with God to our relationship with others. It works two ways. If we haven't sought forgiveness from God for our own junk, then we are not in the position to forgive others who've wronged us. So unresolved sin, unresolved bitterness, I should should say, unresolved bitterness, sin, whatever, it is a sign that there is an area of your life that you are keeping God at arm's length and somewhere in your relationship with him. There's unresolved bitterness in your heart. And if you're actively holding a grudge and you're refusing to forgive people, can you see the hypocrisy of you going to God and saying, God, would you forgive me of my sins? When you just, re- I'm, well, I'm not going to forgive them, I'm going to refuse, but I'm going to go to God. Listen, you can do that, but it's, it's kind of hypocritical of you. But like I said, the good news is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's good news. And what else is good news? That if Jesus commands us to forgive people, that means that he has strength and power and ability that is available to us to do it. We, you don't have to just fake it. You don't just have to muster up the strength in yourself. You can rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in forgiveness in your life. Walk in forgiveness against those who've wronged you. Lead us not into temptation. Here, we need to make an important distinction here. The prayer is not that we shouldn't be tempted. It's it's not saying, God, help me never to be tempted. But it's saying that lead us not into temptation. Don't let us be led by temptation. You know, there's a lot of things in life that you can avoid temptation. There's lots of things that you can be vigilant about, and you should be vigilant about, to avoid certain, certain people, certain places, certain things, if those are easy areas of, of where you fall into temptation. But let me just tell you, not, you, you can't avoid temptation all the time. There's going to be opportunities. There's going to be times where temptation is going to come. But what, the distinction here is what Jesus told Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26 He said this in verse 41, he says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus is saying this, don't even entertain it. Don't even consider the idea of giving in to temptation. When temptation comes, when we do give into it, where do we give into it first? Right here, where we have entertained it. Right here where we have considered it. Before we have actually acted. Jesus is saying, don't consider it. <laughs> don't even entertain the idea. The great thing again is this. The Holy Spirit wants to help you be holy. Holy even as he is holy. We see that command in the scripture in the Old Testament. We see Peter repeating it again. Be holy, even as I am holy. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's impossible. There's no way in the world. God, what are you asking of me? I can't be holy as you are holy. But yeah, that's absolutely right. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, there's no possible way for you to be holy as he is holy. But with the power of the Spirit, by the power of the blood, you can be holy as he is holy. Otherwise, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have said so. He wouldn't have told us. Deliver us from evil. This is the seventh and final petition. It can also be translated to uh, deliver us from the evil one. Of course, that's Satan. That's the devil. We are to pray against specific evils that emanate from the kingdom of darkness. I know this this one pastor and um, in their church, they've been having some some what appears to be some demonic activity in their building. And, and fortunately, uh, this, this particular pastor, uh, he doesn't understand his spiritual authority. There's been weird things, been weird happening, supernatural things, uh, the dark things that have been happening in their church building. And, and I know the, the associate pastor there, and he's, he and I are, are friends and we're talking. And he's like, man, I don't understand. Like, let's just go in there. Let's address what's going on. We have authority. We have authority. But the senior leader, he he doesn't get that. He doesn't understand that. He's like, well, I'm not going in there. They'll tear me apart. Listen, the enemy has no authority over me that I haven't given him. None. Zero. Jesus said, to pray, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. That means that we have authority. We may have an enemy, but the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. The the enemy has no authority. The enemy has no authority. Jesus has given you all authority to overcome all the works of the enemy. And Jesus said, and you will not be hurt. Nothing shall hurt you. We have authority. And so we are supposed to pray and come into agreement with that authority that God has given us. And here's the last line right here. And After we get done with this, we're going to, again, we're going to repeat this prayer and we're going to sing it. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. This is it. This is the last line right here. This is the final thought. This is the final thought. We return to the truth of God's sufficiency. Our hearts can be at peace. Our hearts can remember that nothing can snatch away the kingdom and the power and the glory from our heavenly Father. Nothing. It, this, this whole idea that, that you know, the forces of darkness, the forces of evil and the, and the kingdom of heaven are at war with one another and that, that they have this equal power and equal strength. That's not the case. God has all authority. He has all power. All glory is due to Him. The kingdom is His. And we can be at peace with that. As we uh, talked about the Lord's Prayer here today, Understand that Jesus wasn't trying to look, or he wasn't trying to lock us into a particular form of words. You know, it wasn't, especially in English, right? You know, Jesus didn't speak English. So it's not about, well, I have to, you know, repeat this verbatim like this. That's not what it's about. Jesus was pointing to the content. He was pointing to the pattern. Jesus' prayer, it's a summary of all the other prayers, Jesus was guiding us on emphasis, on topics, on purpose, and even spirit. Some of y'all think twice daily is just that chain of gas stations. That we, you know, we got one right down the road here. But Martin Luther invented twice daily, not some gas station chain. Twice daily, Martin Luther would pray the Lord's Prayer, and he would paraphrase it and personalize it. And he wouldn't just pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Or, you know, it it wasn't just that. But he would personalize it. He would put it in his own words, in his own thoughts. The actual words of your prayers, they might be different, and that's okay. You know, but but the sense and the essence should follow Jesus' prayer and Jesus' pattern. Absolutely, there is absolute room for free-form praise and petitions. But we need Jesus' prayer to imprint itself on our prayers. I also want to say this. Too many believers think that their prayer life is just a private thing between them and God. But if you look at this prayer, how did Jesus give it to us? He gave it to us in plural form, right? What did he say? Our Father. Give us. Our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Right? Prayer is not strictly a private thing. As much as we can, we should be praying with others. That might be uh, meaning here gathered in a formal worship setting. Or it might mean like before service, we were just out in the lobby. And uh, Miss Shirley came up to me and says, can I pray for you? I said, Absolutely. Absolutely. It might mean praying with your family around the dinner table. It might mean praying with a friend at a coffee shop. It can be formal. It can be informal. But we should be looking always for opportunities to pray with one another. Why is that? Because if praying is conversing with God, and one of the purposes of it is to get to know God better, then that can best happen in community. By praying with others, you're able to hear and see facets of Jesus that you may not have heard or seen on your own. So with this gained understanding of the Lord's Prayer, we're going we're gonna to pray it again. Why don't you guys stand up with me? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this one line at a time. I'm going to pray it, and then you're going to repeat that line after me. But what we're going to do is we're going to just pray one line, and then we're going to just leave a a pause so that you can insert your own thoughts and your own heart to God about what that meaning is. And then we're going to sing the prayer as our benediction. Here it is, Matthew chapter 6. Just repeat after me. Our Father who art in heaven... Okay, and now just, in your own thoughts, and your own words, just pray to God. And just, God, say, God, thank you that you're my heavenly Father. Thank you that I get to call you as my Father. Yes. Jesus, thank you for what you did so that I have the privilege to call God Father. Hallowed be thy name. pray that my life would reflect your holiness. God I pray that through my life God hallowed be thy name. The the, the same prayer that God that as as your glory is is known to me and works through me that it would be known among the nations God. God that, that I would reflect your holiness and because of that people would come to know you. I say this thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I thank you that the way that you bring your kingdom and your will to earth is through believers who come into agreement with you. So that's what I want to do with my life. Give us this day our daily bread. Just go right now and just go boldly to God with your needs. You can do it. You can go with boldness. You can approach the throne of grace with boldness. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, I thank you that as I come to you and I confess and I repent, God, it's it's not with, with sadness, but it's with gladness because I'm in right standing with you. And Holy Spirit, I thank you. You give me the power and the ability to forgive those who've wronged me. Thank you that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to us. It's been given to you, Jesus. And I'm a co-heir with you. And so every authority that you have over the enemy, God, I thank you that it belongs to me too. God, help me walk in that authority. Help me not to be trampled by the enemy, but help me to trample the enemy. In the name of Jesus. Come on and say this one loud. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Say it. It's all yours, God. It's all yours. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing it.